Good afternoon. Hope everyone is, is well. Missed being here with you guys, but it seems like you guys are all happy and doing great. Um, it's summer and it's, it's hot, so that's, that's good. Um, what if I told you that there is something that all of us do, every single person in the room, and we do it on average 15,000 times every single day. We do it so much we don't even think about it. And what if I told you that these actions largely determine the health of all of your relationships and determine the direction of your entire life? This is the importance that the Apostle James, Jesus' half-brother, puts on our words. What comes out of our mouths, those things that we formulate in our head that come out of our heart and then come out to other people, James says they're incredibly important. And this is just one of many topics that the Apostle James, as he's looking at the churches, wants us to wrestle with. As many of you know, uh, the book of James is a very practical book. It is about putting our faith into action. James wants our convictions, the things that we believe, to be expressed in how we live. And today, the first arena he wants us to wrestle through is the arena of our words. Now, one of the earliest um, lies that we learn as kids is this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will... Has there any been, anything ever been said that is so untrue? Right? Like, some of you would prefer a broken bone that would heal in a couple of months to a word that you received that has stayed with you for decades. Somebody spoke something to you, and that thing has haunted you. It has defined or redefined much of your life. And we think, why are words so hurtful? Why are they so powerful? And furthermore, how can we use the 15,000 words that we speak every single day, and how can we leverage those to move in the direction that we want to go in? Those are the questions that James is going to answer for us today. James chapter 3, if you have your Bible, turn there. This is what he says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, this afternoon, I want to look at four pictures that James gives us. James is a preacher, so he often writes in illustrations. And so when he's telling us to look at our words, he's giving us four images, and these four images tell the story of our tongues, of our words. It's going to tell us about the power, the danger, the problem, and the hope of the tongue. So first... The first image that James shows us is that of a ship, and it tells us about the power of the tongue. We see this in verses three through five. James actually uses two pictures here to make the same point. The the bit in the mouth of a horse and the rudder at the back of a ship. He's saying, hey, here is something really small that actually has the power to direct something very big and very powerful. This is the picture I have of the USS Eisenhower. Here is our first image for the day. The USS Eisenhower is one of the biggest ships in the world. It weighs over 91,000 tons. It's over 1,100 feet long. It has 280,000 horsepower in its engine. It can carry over 100 planes and 6,000 people at one time. It is a very powerful ship. But with all the size and all of its power, one part determines which direction it goes, the rudder. The the rudder of the USS Eisenhower is one-tenth of one percent of the ship's size. One-tenth of one percent of that ship's size. And James just says, hey, your tongue is like that. It is small, but it is powerful. It has the power to redirect your life. It has the power to turn you in one direction or another. Sometimes to places we want to go, sometimes to places we'd rather not go. He explains it more in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. And we're like, Check, amen. But if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. You see what James is saying? He's like, listen, do you want to be a perfect person? And this word perfect literally means whole or complete. Do you want to be a complete person? We're like, yes, James, I want to be a whole person. I don't want to be fragmented. He says, if you want to be a whole person, fully formed, you have to be the one in control of the rudder of your ship. Because if you can control the rudder, you change the direction of the ship. And in fact, I bet if you looked back at your life, the key moments that changed the trajectory of your life, I wonder what the words that were spoken or the words that were unspoken, the things that you said or the things that were said to you and how those things shaped you. So James, as he gets started talking about this topic, he's like, I just need you to know how important this is. It's small. And I know we try to justify it. Oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, you know, I'm just tired. I'm sorry. 
James is like, no, 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 we can't dismiss it. We can't make excuses. We have to understand the power of the rudder of the ship. Second, he's going to tell us about the danger of the tongue. Okay, so it's, it's powerful. It sets the trajectory of our lives, but James says there's a problem. Most of the time, the trajectory is not in the direction we want to go. Often our words take us places we didn't want to go. And so he gives us another picture. It's not a noble horse. It's not a grand ship on the sea. It's this. Wildfire. And there's nothing funny about a wildfire. We we, we, um, have seen these in our own country, how devastating they can be. And James says, listen, our words are like a spark that has the potential to destroy the whole forest. And he uses really strong language. Verses five through six, he says, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue can create a whole ecosystem of sin. Gossip and lying and slander, rage, bullying, blasphemy, deceit, manipulation. These words are not isolated. They actually fuel each other. And they create a whole ecosystem of a place and a world we don't want to live in. Our family doesn't want to live in. Our neighbors don't want to live in. Our church doesn't want to live in this world of unrighteousness that our tongue can create. But it gets worse. He says our words stain the whole body, meaning they're not isolated comments. They're connected to our thoughts and our emotions and our will and our actions. They affect all of who we are. But it gets worse. Where does this come from? James says that our words have been, quote, set on fire by hell. And we think, whoa, that's strong, isn't it? I thought I just kind of, thought I was being a little careless. I thought I was just, you know, trying to blow off some steam. It reminds me of the time uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he's telling his disciples that he's going to go to the cross. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and he uses his words to rebuke Jesus generally a bad idea. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's like Peter and James and Jesus, they're all getting at the same point here. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Can you imagine Peter going home after a long day of ministry with Jesus? He goes home to his wife, and he's like, honey, how was your day? Oh, it's fine, you know. Um, Jesus called me Satan. What? Oh, yeah, you know, J- Jesus called me Satan. I mean, that'd be crazy, right? But Jesus knew something, that our words, um, if they're not from God, where are they from? You know, they might be from the enemy himself. Not the, things of, not the things of God, but the things of man. The truth is that most of us understand this. You don't need me to tell you this because you have all experienced this. You've been on both sides of the destruction of this fire of words. You can probably all think of a time where someone spoke to you 
or about you or around you, and it was like a spark that lit your whole world on fire. Maybe you heard your dad yell something to your mom, and 20 years later, you still haven't been able to put out that fire. Maybe someone used a harsh word to tear you down, and those words burned down any sense of self confidence or self-worth that you had and now anytime you try to move forward in life it's like those words the volume is turned up they still burn in your head maybe someone gossiped about you or lied about you and a whole web of relationships were broken and they are broken to this day but we've also been on the other side we've been the ones whose careless words have hurt others. We failed to control our words and the destruction went farther than we could possibly imagine. You said something and as soon as you said it, you're like, I want to get it back. But you couldn't. Maybe you lost your job because of it, ruined a relationship because of it, hurt the people that you love the most And you're like, it was just a a small, I just said it, it was like a spark. But the spark started to burn the whole forest down. And you're like, this is kind of, this is kind of grim. Well, it actually gets worse. Our third point, the problem of the tongue. And I know the forest fire image is a disturbing one, but James goes further and he starts to list animals. Verse seven and eight, he's like, hey, all of these creatures have been tamed. But guess what? Your tongue is untamable. It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. Okay, great. Not only do we have something that is very powerful and very dangerous inside of us, but guess what James says? You can't control it. Humanly speaking, it is untamable. It's not like your house cat or your dog. Or I saw in the New York Times recently, Engine Company 239 has a pet pig. Have you seen this? Its name's Penny. And you're like, oh, this is cute. You know, we can keep it around and we can pet it and we can feed it. James says, your tongue is not like that. He said, your tongue is more like this. Show me the poisonous golden frog. That guy. One of the deadliest creatures in the world. It's not a house pet. It could kill 10 people with its venom. You can't train this guy, put a leash on him and walk him around the neighborhood. No, he's going to get away from you and he's going to bite. And James says, this is your tongue. And you're like, gosh, can this get any worse? But James, as he moves forward, is going to say, actually, This is not the end of the story. What we cannot control with human power, God has made a way, which leads us to our final point, the hope for the tongue. So here's the diagnosis. Our tongue is powerful. It is dangerous. It is uncontrollable. But James is going to tell us there is hope for healing. Verse 9 through 12. He gives us our fourth picture of the afternoon. This is a picture of a stream. A stream. And his his illustration is simple. He says a stream is either a freshwater stream or a saltwater stream. 
If the source is salt water, guess what? The stream is salt water. If the source is fresh water, then the stream is fresh water. 100% of the time. And James says, listen, if you're, if you're trying to fix your words, what you can't do is try to filter your water downstream, which is what we all try to do. It's like, I'm going to just like, up my filter. I'm going to be more careful with what's coming out. And that's good to do that. But that won't fix the problem. Because we've all tried to filter and then things came out anyway. James said, if you want to fix what's coming out of the faucet, you have to move upstream to the source. If you change the source, change the stream. I recently read a story about a large pig farm in North Carolina. And they uh, had so many hogs that they produced so much feces, excuse me, that it began to sink into the soil. And so actually, like miles away, the drinking water was contaminated. And they started thinking like, what is wrong with our water? They had to go upstream. And they realized actually stuff was getting into the soil upstream that was affecting what was coming out downstream. And the same is true for us when we think about our words. What are your inputs? What's going into the source? What's going into the heart? Because what's in the heart is going to come out of your mouth. Is divisiveness, anger, bitterness, lies. Is that what you're feeding your soul with? Is that what is going into the soil? Because if it is, you should. Be surprised if your words are divisive, angry, bitter, and untrue. Notice what James says. He says that you can't curse others and really praise God at the same time. And this is kind of surprising. We would expect James to say something like, hey, stop cursing people and start blessing people. That would make sense to us. But he doesn't say that. He says, the only way to stop cursing people is actually for you to have a proper worship of God. So as we begin to bless God, it's really hard for us to curse people in the image of God. So he says, hey, as you fix what you're saying and receiving a vertical level between you and God, it's going to start fixing the way that you're treating other people. It's hard to curse somebody while you're blessing God. It's impossible, James says. There are two sources. So what's going in? What are the inputs? Our tongues reflect our hearts. So to change our tongue, we have to change our heart. But here's the good news. That's where Jesus does some of his very best work. He came to change our hearts. Jesus came and he lived the life that we could not live. He spoke with grace and truth and love and patience all the time to everybody. Then he died on the cross, taking all of our sins upon himself, including our sins of our words. Every awful word that I've spoken and that you have spoken, Jesus carried to the cross, paid the penalty. 
Then he rose from the dead in power, releasing a resurrection energy to all who would follow him. And he looks at his disciples. You know what he tells his disciples to do? Right after his resurrection, he says, hey, here's what I need you to do, disciples. Listen very closely. I need you to do nothing, and I need you to say nothing until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so they wait. No spoken words. You know, they, were, they had to be eager. We have a message to share. We got a lot of stuff to say, Jesus. And Jesus is like, zip it until the Holy Spirit comes. And do you remember what happened at Pentecost? They're sitting around praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And the Spirit falls on them. How? Like tongues of fire. Huh. Tongues of fire come upon them, and what do they do? They begin to praise God, the scripture said, and they all begin to bless him and worship him and honor him and praise him. Tongues of fire result in praising of God, and then the message goes out. And isn't that interesting? James has already told us one fire, that he said our tongues have been set on fire by hell. And the result has been a wildfire of destruction. But we have access as followers of Jesus to another fire. The tongues of fire, the fire from heaven. It is powerful like a spark. We're now filled with the love of God. We're filled with his spirit. God's spirit comes on us. And you know what happens? The volume is turned up on God's voice. That's what the Holy, one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He turns up the volume on Christ's voice and we begin to hear him clearly when he says, you are my treasured possession. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my beloved. You are accepted in Christ. You are forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the tongue of fire, the Holy Spirit comes on us and begin to turn up the volume on God's voice. And you know what happens when we begin to hear God's voice clearly? We begin to speak differently. The source has changed. The heart is changed. And what comes out is different. And listen, it's not like a switch where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian now. All my words. Great. Perfect. No, but as we continue to grow, as we continue to fill up our hearts with Christ's love and grace and the gospel, as that filled up, our words more and more reflect that reality. And so some of you are like, okay, that sounds great. And I'm for that. Like, that sounds wonderful. Like, I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit to change my heart so I can begin to speak. But, okay, practically, what does that look like? You, you said James is practical. What's the practical application here? Well, I want to lean on actually the apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.9. He gives us a beautiful paradigm for practically living out this spirit-led, spirit-infused speaking. This is what he says, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So there's three questions we need to ask ourselves before we speak. Is it helpful? Is it helpful? 
Paul says our speech should be um, good for building up. Only what is good for building up. So are your words helpful to someone else? Gospel communication, good communication is other-centered. Our words need to be shaped by how they can serve the person we're talking to. So often we think, I just got to get this off my chest. And it's for us. It's selfish. But does it build the other person up? The question is not only is it true, but is it helpful? The second question, is it appropriate? Paul says, uh, what is good for building up as fits the occasion? Now that's interesting. Does this need to be said? Does it fit? Does this need to be said right now? Does this need to be said right now by me? Sometimes there's great things that somebody needs to say, you're not that person. That's not what God is calling you to do. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I don't fully know what that means. Apples of gold and settings of silver, but it's really, it's a good thing. When you have apples of gold and um, um, the Proverbs is saying, that's a word fitly spoken. I mean, it just fits right. It's appropriate for the moment and the time. So the person you're talking to, do they need encouragement? Do they need comfort? Do they need hope, teaching, wisdom, courage, rebuke, warning? Or do they need something else altogether? And as followers of Jesus, we have to discern, right? If someone needs comfort, maybe not the exact right moment for a word of rebuke. If someone has just lost a loved one and they need hope, Maybe now is not the time for the lecture. Third, is it kind? So not only is it helpful, is it appropriate, but is it kind? Paul says that our words have to give grace to those who hear. You may have something true to say, but maybe you're not saying it in a gracious and kind way. And maybe you need not to say it. I think so often... We have something true that we want to say, but we don't know the appropriate way to say it, and we're not, we're not doing it in a gracious and kind tone. We want to make a point rather than making a difference. And I wonder if we need to switch that paradigm. Yeah, like how can we make a difference with our words? Gracious, graciousness and kindness and truthfulness. So the question for us this afternoon is how are we using the 15,000 words that we speak every day? If you look at your words, if you could take a snapshot of a day and see all the words that you spoke, are those bringing you to the destination that you want to go to? Or are we making excuses? Or are we saying, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. Maybe this afternoon the call for you is to take back the rudder of the ship and say, God, I need your grace. I need your help. God, I need your spirit to change the source because what's coming out isn't pretty. And you need to say, my inputs have to change. I need God's word. I need to be with God's people. I maybe need to turn down the volume on some inputs that have and unhelpful. 
And I need to turn up the volume on the voice of God and his promises and his word. I need to turn up the volume on my brothers and sisters in Christ because what's coming out isn't pretty, so I want to change the input. Or maybe you're here this afternoon and you're like, hey, this whole thing about the spirit of God coming, you're like, man, I just don't know if that's me. Like, I'm not sure if I have that type of relationship with God. Like, I come to church, my parents told me about God or my grandma. I've been around religion, but I've never really had that type of relationship. And the call for you today is to surrender. And say, God, here I am. I want to know you personally. I want to hear your voice. Not as an outside observer, but as a son or a daughter. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that the cross has spoken a better word over us. A word of freedom, a word of forgiveness, a word of joy and peace and love. And God, we want that to be the loudest voice in our hearts. We want to let it transform us today so that the words that we speak every day can reflect that. The words we speak to our coworkers, the words we speak to our neighbors, our children, our friends. God, we want to be representative of Christ's love for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.